Wardcast episode 87. Go. Hello, Mason. Hi, Dylan. We got to stop meeting like this. On the internet? On the internet. Yeah, we do live like an hour away. Yeah, an hour. It takes an hour <laughs> I don't to know get. Why I said an hour <laughs> to get ten oh, blocks man. down the street. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. How you How's doing, going, man? I'm, oh, I'm, nope. I'm well, good. I'll go. No, I'll go. I'm good. <laughs> it's been so... great. This is what happens. Oh, it's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while for me. It was a good talk. Last time you were on, we had a good talk with uh, Sean Patton. That was awesome. That was, was so good. cool. Yeah, yeah, a lot of cool things today. Uh, hopefully our new guest lives up to the expectations. One can only hope. Speaking of, hello, new guest. Welcoming <laughs> Josiah Renaldon. <laughs> Never live up to expectations. <laughs> of the 1099 podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's It's been a while since I've actually done any someone else's podcast, which makes me feel like selfish because I'm always like dragging people on mine and never actually go on there. Yeah, so. don't worry about it. Yeah, it's finally... <laughs> Paying everyone back by just going on your podcast because that's how that yeah. works. <laughs> You're welcome, Jeff Gershman. Thanks for being on our podcast. <laughs> hey, Josiah. if you asked me to be on the, the Giant Bombcast, I would probably say yes. Oh, hell yeah. yeah I'd think about it. <laughs> I'm really busy. <laughs> I'd get back to him. No, I yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably fly out for that, you know. If you <laughs> just got to time it up with something, GDC or something. Yeah. I really, yeah, I was going to do E3 this year, um, but it just didn't line up it's really hard to like try to justify going from jacksonville to actual like california and pay for all that if you're not like doing freelance work or otherwise so right unfortunately no e3 this year which is happening in like a couple of days well this will be the first year that everyone it's public it sounds like a bad idea it does seem like a bad idea (laughs) it seems like no one's excited about it (laughs) i don't i understand like actual people who are going in the public and are not pressed, they should be excited. It'll be cool uh, to a certain extent because there is kind of like the, the pomp and circumstance of E3 is enjoyable. But as someone who's had to work that show before and kind of understand what goes into it and how stressful it can get, bumping into a whole bunch of random people who are there just for fun sounds like a nightmare. So I have no idea how they're going to set it up. But as of right now, I that's the only reason I'm happy I'm not going. Yeah, I'm sure the people that are going that bought the public passes are pretty excited but i don't know i don't know what to make heads or tails of it e3 keeps mixing itself up ever since they had that year they didn't they take off a year or they they moved and they, they moved for a, year? for a year yeah where was it i don't even know santa monica was it like- it, i think you might be right it was in a was bunch it of- atlanta am i going crazy it was in like, atlanta it was atlanta. Atlanta. yeah it was in atlanta long, for a long time that was that was like early mid 90s yeah. yeah yeah have either of you ever been to e3 no. No. I was just saying the one thing that I think people might assume it's like this video game winter wonderland amazing <laughs> time where you go and you're like dancing and jump like bumping into video game personalities and seeing these amazing games Tommy at all times. Tommy Torellico. I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's like constantly you're it's it, but it's not. It's very um it's an industry event. Yeah, and like people forget that. It's very it's very pressy. It's very you need to make appointments. You in those lines if you don't have an appointment. I remember I was there in 2013 and the the Titanfall this for original Titanfall line 
was I think two and a half hour wait if you didn't have any sort of appointment. And like the appointments were usually like, you know, IGN, GameSpot, Giant Bomb, right. people like that. It wasn't whatever site I was writing for at the time. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's, it's if, <laughs> if you're the public, I can only imagine that being four hours now or five hours. So it just sounds like a nightmare. Well, and, and Dylan and I have been to PAX East twice now. Once as just attendees and then we did a panel this year. And that was even, that was so overwhelming for me. Like I don't, I don't handle crowds very well. So I can't imagine like in E3, it's even more busy than it's been in the past. I just, it just seems. What panels do at PAX East? Yeah, we did a, a, a panel called uh, Hidden Gems, Discovering the Undiscovered. What we try to do, like, especially with talking with our podcast and stuff is that like we do, we kind of do a game of the year thing, but it's mostly like, all right, the best stuff that we've been playing. So it's not even stuff that have fallen into that calendar year because, you know, my, my personal opinion is that like, you know, game of the year is good for people that like are in press and like the, they play every game that comes out and have a good sense of that. But for the average Joe, it's like, I'm, I'm going to play a game from this year and then I'm going to play a game from 2005 or, you know, I just bought Golden Sun for the DS and so I'm going to play that. It's like, what, that's like a eight years old. So for like yeah. the Hidden Gems panel, we, um, we were just going around and just playing games that you would get regularly on the show floor. We would just talk to like small no-name indies and be like, hey, tell us about your game. Tell us can we play it? And then we would showcase like ones we really liked on the panel. And we tried and, to do the ones that had like no lines or low lines that wasn't like a huge commitment to get into. Like we did st- some of the indie mega booth stuff, but like we also like kind of ran around the perimeter where it's like people are buying their own booths and trying to make a go at it and and, and finding all the stuff. And there's some cool stuff. Yeah, we, we found a lot of cool stuff, but also like I thought it was an important panel to have because, you know, you can't. You're not going to have, like you were talking about, Josiah, you're not having those like press meetings, you know, those scheduled events where someone's walking you through the the game. So we thought it was it was important to have that side of things. And apparently a lot of people thought so, too, because we filled the room. It was like 300 people that showed up. So that was pretty Jesus. nice. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. What year was this? This, this was year. this year. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I when I went to when I went in 2013, I was the only packages I went to. This is back when I lived in Pennsylvania. Like, I remember... Um, doing something similar in terms of understanding that the big lines are awesome. Like the, the games usually you're waiting for are really cool, but you can find stuff that eventually might end up being big by just talking to random people, like just talking to people on the floor who are like, hey, what's this weird iPhone ninja game you're making? And you start just talking to that person and doing stuff like that. So no, it's a cool idea. Yeah. And we, it was really cool because we got to talk to a lot of devs that were like, Dylan, where are the devs from? Oh my gosh. Townville. Townville. <laughs> That's what it was. Townville, Pennsylvania. Oh my gosh. Yeah, was it was it. you. No, it was um uh Nyama Cop. They were um from South Africa and they were South African devs. Um and they were showing their game at the, at the indie mini booth called Semblance, which was like a puzzle platformer game. It's and a the, great name for a video game. I mean, and just even hearing their experience of getting to Boston was fascinating. Like let alone like their game was really cool because like, you like, morph the environment to make a platformer. But just like being able to talk to people that have the time to talk to you was super, super fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that perspective, too, of, of a developer who's not just from, you know, North America is interesting. Usually, if, especially if they're a place that our um, one of our animators, our, our senior animator uh, is from like Colombia and talking to him kind of about what he's gone through and you know how games are there compared to what, what they are here and how. Like the opportunity is way greater here, but what he learned in Colombia uh, really helped him actually do something different and stand out here. So yeah, talking to those people, how they got here, what they went through usually to get here is fascinating to me. 
Yeah. Well, and they even talked about like they had like a kind of thriving indie scene yeah. around them. Like they so like the the Broforce guys are actually from South Africa and a couple other devs are too, and they were telling us about it. Um I think I think they were based out of Cape Town, Nyamakop was. So I think Cape Town and Johannesburg are like the two the only two cities I know in South Africa, so probably like the two major ha- <laughs> hubs of game dev in South Africa. But yeah. And then there's Bobby Throne. Yes, Bobby Throne. Uh uh super wait soda drinker pros spiritual successor bobby throne saves the world which wait, was like is that a, really yeah yeah is that really a successor to what so i i know what soda drinker pro is i i, I okay. know i know that backstory cool. but so I know then a- you'll be as excited as i was when i found out because so there was this booth and it was kind of i don't know dylan how would you describe it it was a screen there was one guy handing coins out it was super fucking weird there's a guy with a microphone handing coins out, talking to a virtual pastor on the screen, and the virtual pastor was being puppeteered by a guy behind the curtain like the well, Wizard wait, of Oz. And you didn't know that. I mean, you did, but you didn't know that. So you would interact with the, the avatar on screen, who is this like kind of fake uh, televangelist, yeah. Bobby, Th- Bobby <laughs> Throne, yes. right? Am I saying it right now? Yes, Throne. And the guy, the dev, or whoever he was, would not break character with me at all. He would not tell me. I was like, what is this? And he's like, we'll ask Bobby. And I'm like, I, I, come on. It was so <laughs> weird. And then, so we come back to that booth probably hours later. And we find out that it's the Soda Drinker Pro guys. That makes sense. And it, yeah, you're right. It all kind of clicked. But I would have never guessed that. And they didn't like outwardly put that. They were just there being weird. That seems like their destiny, though. Their destiny is just to be places totally. to be weird, right? Yeah. And they're I'm like all about sm- that. Smack between a like games for Jesus booth, <laughs> yes, like it was like so a really <laughs> religious games booth, and like like just some like community organized like we're Christian, but we're also gamers. And then on the other side was like the full sale university booth. Yep. So yep. we're like, is this a student project? Is this a religious thing? Like, what's going on? That's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you find some weird shit at PAX. It's like you guys dropped a decent but, amount of money to get here. Yeah. To me, that's what's cool about PAX. Like, I mean, as much as I wanted to wait in line to play, well, I don't I don't like playing guy, games at trade shows, period, cuz I'm not a member of the press, so like I'll play it when it comes out. I don't have to write about it. But the the side stuff at PAX and all the communities around PAX is what's cool about PAX. Now, E3's not the same. I understand that, but like I thought yeah, and it has it has some smaller things you can get into, but you're right. You never get a great experience playing something in a giant, busy, loud showroom floor. Um, I remember 2013 when I did go there. I was God, I was still 20 years old, so could not drink. Huge bummer. But I remember uh, the first actual like game I got to play that was bigger. There was um, it was Transistor. Uh, I had emailed Greg Kasavin kind of out of the blue, like, Hey, can I <laughs> can play your game? Packs? I'm going to be in Boston. And like, I had like a 15 minute full interview with him. I got to play it behind closed doors. And that was awesome. like an amazing experience because you're not constantly around all the loud people. But it, in most cases, if you don't get lucky, like 20 year old Josiah and get some behind closed <laughs> door thing, you're just out in the middle of the floor. You can't hear anything. They're trying to show you whatever probably the most action packed part of their game is. Uh, there, it was like that with um, the last of us. When I saw it at E3, it's it's never a great experience. It's hard to write previews about those two. Right. Yeah. Well, in like our first year at PAX, Pyre was on display. And me and Dylan were like, oh, shit, it's Pyre. I want to check this out. 
No. The line was like three days long. There's no know, fucking way. You know what, Mason? Yeah. This past PAX, on Sunday, there was no one there, and I just sat down without waiting at all and just played Pyre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sunday's the day to do it. It was fucking rad. Well, but we went for Friday this year, and Friday was great too, actually. I thought, yeah. I, I loved Friday. Saturday, I was just like, it was super intense, but... I'll be interested to see the read on E3 this year. I am too. You know, with this new effort and kind of the whole games industry is kind of figuring out what it's doing now. And like PR cycles are so different now too. In my opinion, it's probably going to be a lot like GDC except just with more press. Because GDC, you have like the actual like convention area where people have booths set up. Right. Whether they're for, for industry or showing off games, and then you have like the actual summit for, for talks and stuff. So I think it's going to be that, except replace all the talks with all the press related stuff. And then also there will be panels because apparently like Jack Black and fucking. Uh, yeah, they're doing the Brutal Legend. Tim Schafer's doing Tim a Schaefer, panel. Yeah, that, 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 I don't fully understand what's going on with the panel plus the regular E3. Like you said, it's kind of a GDC plus a little bit of PAX. And then also E3. Like I don't really know what this weird, like you know with our powers combined type of conference is going to be but I, I am fascinated kind of from a distance we have um at least two people from tan gentlemen the studio i work for work for going there so i'm gonna be talking to them and be like is it weird over there does it feel normal like is it actually changing is e3 gonna be a thing next year like i just don't know is that exhibit hall still a parking lot we don't know yeah, what's going I, on i don't well, know now Kinsha like, hall I, seems like super relevant and it's not existing anymore so i don't know I just don't get it. I know when I was talking to Jeff Gersman the other day, he had mentioned like last year they actually just recorded a podcast on the, the, the floor. And thinking back to when I went to E3 in 2013, that would have been impossible. I mean, you're like shoulder to shoulder with people. It's so busy. So who knows? Hopefully this does revitalize it because I want it to be a thing. Like I want to be able to go to it next year and it not be like in a, in a box <laughs> or something like that. But who knows? Well, and there's something about the ceremony around E3 that I think that we as like fans of the industry... Or, or, or actually, you know, members of the industry, but like being involved in the industry, there's something about it. Like this is our, this is the tent pole of the year. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, it's like, it's Christmas, right? Like that's yeah. the kind of the overused phrase with it is like, oh, it's gamers Christmas, which is the stupidest sentence. Thing. Or super, it's a Super Bowl, you know, it's yeah. like, it's our big, like, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's show our cards. You get and... excited before a press conference starts. Like you can, you can feel it. You're like, yeah. And I'm excited for next weekend because I want to, I want to know, but also like the way that game news cycles work now they're so much shorter and they're so much more aggressive that it's kind of increasingly make e3 irrelevant well also yeah like so many publishers can now either use streamers or just use their own kind of pr branch to announce things and get their message across so you don't need these giant conferences and so many people are getting out ahead not this year the last few years people get out ahead of e3 because they don't want to get completely crushed by all the other major announcements but maybe it's telling that we're not seeing that many leaks yet because maybe there aren't a lot of massive announcements to be made there should be because this is just this is just going to be a game conference this is not going to be a well i don't think it's going to be a <laughs> conference unless i'm missing something but it it seems like it should just be games and the fact that we aren't seeing that many smaller games being announced at this point makes me think that maybe it's not going to be just this avalanche of games i don't know i mean there was that rumbling going about the hardware thing like there was that rumbling about uh the mixed reality thing from microsoft and then also who knows what scorpio is doing right now no that's a good point i, I always think that's like it's so weird because it's that half step so it's hard for my, my brain to think of like a full because you're probably not gonna get scorpio exclusive so whatever games you see are just gonna be prettier on scorpio but yeah that should be the focus and it i think 
I think Phil Spencer just tweeted about how it's going to be the presentation to be longer than 90 minutes. He's just Ooh. tweeting about Voodoo Fence. He's just like, I love Voodoo Fence. Yeah, it's just going to be 90 minutes of Voodoo Vince <laughs> and then 10 minutes of also here's, I don't know, some new Halo. And don't talk end, to me about Phantom Dust. Yeah, I was say, at, the, yeah. at the end, they're like, hey, by the way, Phantom Dust is out and it's free. <laughs> it yeah, is. I think that's probably a successful conference. It is that. <laughs> the remake is, it's out and it's free. I mean, there's there's so much opportunity with like all this new media shit, though. Like, did you did any of you guys see the Google Tango stuff? The AR stuff? No. Oh, uh, my God. Like, I was... I was distracted by Apple's AR stuff. Well, okay, whatever. <laughs> but, like, where technology is going with that? Like, you know, if the Scorpio or whatever the mixed reality or whatever these, it's so potent for games to kind of teach you how to use this new technology. The same way that games were a huge arbiter of touchscreens. You know what I mean? For the Apple, the iStore, mm-hmm. or the, the iStore. The you know, iStore. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just lost all of your, all your tech credentials. Just hand idiot. them over. I just I spend so much time in the stores I can't. The i stores. The i stores. Um, but it's it's really cool like what what's happening with that and I wonder like when, because Nintendo kind of touched on the AR stuff with the 3DS and I just wonder like when that's gonna come into play or how games will play in that space because that's where I mean that's where money is right now too though like venture money. Yeah, you know Pokemon Go. They're like, oh, we need to make the next Pokemon Go. I still play that. I don't care who judges me. Oh, really? Still, I'm proud of you, 100%. Josiah. You're the real MVP. Yeah, I'm like level 26 or something. Hell I yeah, you are. Fucking Dragonite. I'm the champion. I got a, yeah. I got a, I got a gold bat. <laughs> That's your prize possession? <laughs> Fuck yeah. I got a fucking gold bat. I got the Pikachu with the Santa hat. I'm like, all right, I'm done. I won. Yeah, you kind of win the game at that point, don't you? Yeah. Did you it's really get a Pikachu over. with the Santa hat? Yeah, it was yeah, a Christmas event. There. Yeah. I think I got one with a birthday hat. I could be wrong. I got three. Santa hat Pikachu's. I feel like you should probably get rid of a couple of those. They just sit in my backyard, and I'm like, all right, I'll just oh, okay. snatch you up. I can put yeah, a real Santa hat on a mouse and bring that to you, Dylan. <laughs> it's exact, yep, exact same thing. Grafted onto its skull. Pokemon Go just never did it for me, man. I oh never... well, I think you're incorrect. No, I. That's my listen, objective. <laughs> I fucking heard it, dude. I fucking heard it on this podcast. I've heard it everywhere that I'm the weird guy that doesn't like Pokemon Go. Also. My battery hates Pokemon Go. Like, I've never... I get, like, really... First sh- off, everyone's battery. Yeah, okay. Everyone's battery hates you Pokemon Go. You say your phone Go. doesn't like constantly pinging a GPS satellite? Is that what you're telling yeah, me? Yeah, but that... My, my data hates Pokemon Go. My battery hates Pokemon Go. And all I remember is I the actual gym that I go to daily, which, I mean, actual workout gym, not Pokemon gym. Sure. It's also a Pokemon gym. <laughs> and I re- like, it's almost always empty until that game came out. And there was like 20 dudes vaping outside <laughs> of the gym man. playing like Pokemon. Vape and life. all of them were just like, none of them were working out. It was just a lot of vaping and a lot of Pokemon. Guy blows a Pokeball cloud. Using his vape yeah, cloud, probably hundred percent. It was it was a scene. It was a scene. Hell yeah! No veto, <laughs> hard no. <laughs> I get like stressed out when my battery's low. Like I I get panics me. No, I'm the same kind of I'm the same kind of person. Are you also? What about when your your car's running out of gas? Are you one of those like quarter tank left? You better fill oh, that thing dude, up. Or are you quarter like quarter tank is like quarter tank's low like that's fucking that's too much okay that's i had a feeling those are usually correlated i'm, yeah. a, I'm a, like i'm like a millimeter away from e and i'm like let's go let's coast it oh, no thank you nah but now and this might be because you're from townsville when i was mm. in pittsburgh the metropolis <laughs> metropolis. and i would drive back from pittsburgh to richmond virginia where dylan and i live and you're in all the fucking mountains in pennsylvania yep. there's no fucking way i want to run out of gas 
I don't even want to go to the gas station. Yeah. Well, I got, see, I would have to actually um, fill up like when, when I at least had like a quarter left because the closest gas station was 15 miles right. from Townville. Oh. So yeah, <laughs> it was impossible. I, I couldn't get it down to the end, or I'm pushing. You gotta look, man. Yeah, dude, I'm this just, isn't throw, throw my car out. I think I fly it on fire. Just at that drive point. it into the nearest lake. Is this yeah. town like even on a on a map? Like I don't, probably couldn't find it. It's on, on a map, Dylan. <laughs> Might be a, I don't know. There's like there's a Dollar General that just went in there, and that was a huge deal. I remember coming home one day, and I was like, "Holy shit! Like, <laughs> hey, we're, we've made it, Dollar General. Mama, we made it." <laughs> so, Mason, I want you to type Townville into Google Maps and just watch your browser just explode because just Townville, Pennsylvania. Oh, you'll find I, I think it's real. There's no way. There's no way that the knowledge graph real. of Google is going to comprehend that query. I kind of want to hear the Townville versus Jacksonville comparison. <laughs> Pretty much the same place. Yeah. Jacksonville's weird. Never been. It's a borough of Crawford County, established in 1831. Uh huh. Crawford County. There we go. Come on. See? Cele- the celebrities County. from Townsville. Uh, Josiah Renaudin. Josiah Renaudin. That's it. That's all it says. <laughs> That's it. Um, 3.3% of the population are over 64. That sounds low. Wait, hold on. I would say like 50% of the population is over 64. There's like eight churches. That's 3.3% of people over 64 living below the poverty line. So, okay, <laughs> this is a, this is this is way too much detail about Townville. I, this is stuff I don't even want to know. Cares. This is more than what the people of Townsville know about their own town. Yeah. The average. You're gonna have like two podcast listeners who are fucking psyched we should that you're talking about. Probably this. clarify that you're from Townsville, not us. Yes. No. There I are 119 don't. households. <laughs> Again, that sounds high. Okay. Um. This has been your Townsville minute. Should I read the racial makeup of Townsville? No, okay. oh, come on, we all know. <laughs> I can, I'll give you. <laughs> can I at least read the, the largest population? Oh my god, ninety nine point zero two. But I'll let you guess. All right. Anyways, <laughs> Hispanic. Yes. <laughs> yep. Oh, sorry. The bluest county in Pennsylvania. I was born oh, in a god. suburb of Tallahassee, Florida. So. I get at least weird. My dad lived in, in Fort Lauderdale for a stint, so we all have we all have connections to Florida. Yeah, everyone's everyone has connections to Florida. Florida weird is its own variety of weird. I mean, yeah, it's not Townville weird, but Florida weird is. Wait, weird. what's what's I, Townville weird? Uh, um, ninety nine percent old white people. <laughs> I guess is, is Townville weird? Church battles, not really church battles, but there's like three churches within like a stone's throw from each other. So yeah, one of these days they're gonna revolt. Mason, church battle. Write that idea down. Church battle. Ah, shit. Far Cry 5 already got, damn it. Yeah, I was going to say, Far Cry 5 should just be colon church battle. But that, you know, Far Cry 5 could be actually set in Townville. <laughs> it might did, be. Did you guys see the trailer? Mm-hmm. I like that trailer. It's it's a good-looking trailer. Were the guy's heads being hit against the church bell? Yes. I thought that was that was cool. You meant the teaser? Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I, we could get into Far Cry 5 a little more later, maybe, but yeah, I, I'm i kind of worried it's just going to be another Far Cry game with an interesting setting that doesn't fully deliver on that setting. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's, if it's still, if I'm still skinning, I don't know, coyotes or something and <laughs> like, like taking over Skin churches and bases and stuff like, yeah, like that's, I, I, if it's still just a Far Cry game, i fascinated by what they do with the, the actual premise, but so, we'll see. So, did you play Far Cry 3 and 4? 
uh, three and I own four, but I only put like two hours into it and said, no, thank you. Because it, I don't know. I think I was kind of far cried yeah. out after three. Three is very good. I, I played two. I love two. With malaria. But but yeah, I've, I've played just about all the other ones. I mean, I think what's, it looks to me like someone watched a lot of True Detective and we're like, oh, let's make a weird game about domestic stuff. I guess it's not domestic for See, them. But but I kind of want someone to make a true detective game. So do I. Season one's fantastic. But yeah, again, how like, do you feel about season if two? If it still has, <sighs> uh, you know, it was a ride. Uh, I will not forget. I, I'm kidding. I, f- I forgot most of what happened in season two. But I remember as it was happening, I was at least fascinated enough to keep going. Yeah. But if someone makes a a game out of season one and actually nails it, I'm into it. I just don't know if the Far Cry. Well, game the is the Bayou setting is cool too, though. Yeah. Well, yes. it, it, Resident Evil Seven traded on a lot of that. And Mafia. Yeah. Yeah, 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 fuck yeah. Did you ever finish Mafia? No, I need to get back to it. Hmm. Josiah, if you ever, I don't know if you played No Man's Sky, but if you ever get a chance to go back, you should find the planet named True Detective Season <laughs> 2 because one Dylan Alvento has staked the claim on that planet. Is it just a disappointing planet? Like, what is... <laughs> I, I, I own that game. That's bit speaking of disappointing games, but yeah, I, I, I own that game and... Uh, I I can almost guarantee you I will not play that game again, but I will take your word for it on that planet. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, that was a good uh, twenty six minutes of wherever we went. <laughs> we went to a lot of places. Josiah, I want I want people to know about about you, about what you do. So tell me a little bit about the podcast you run. Uh, yeah. So I host the Ten Ninety Nine which uh, wasn't even my idea for the name, to be honest. It was actually, I'm awful at naming things. Uh, just like no real creativity in that way. But I was talking about the idea two, one and a half years, two years ago. I don't even know how old the podcast is at this point. Um, with a coworker at the time. Uh, and just talking like, okay, I want to do a freelance podcast because there's not that many avenues for people to understand how to get into games writing and one of the best avenues is freelance but if you don't know what you're doing it's really difficult to just jump into it so she was like all right well the tax form is the 10 a 1099 right I'm like yeah <laughs> she's like what about the 1099 because that sounds cool I'm like that sounds dumb and then like an hour later i'm like that sounds really good so i'm into uh, it yeah so i started that and it was kind of just initially as this I'm going to bring freelancers on. We're going to talk about what it's like to freelance, how we got into what we're doing, articles we're working on, and just conversations about that. But pretty soon it flipped into just kind of an overall industry-wide interview show, which uh, because of the people I've been fortunate enough to meet since I've been doing this and the people who have been nice enough to say yes uh, worked out much better than for me than just like, hey, let's talk about freelance all the time. It kind of became just let's talk about games and the people in them and their stories and major topics like that. So yeah, it's been it's been crazy. Ninety five episodes in, it's been crazy. Yeah, man, I, I, I've I've listened to a couple of them and I, and I I really like I really like your interview style. I really like just all the people you have on. I I, I look at the guest list and I'm like, God fucking damn it! Like, how does he get these people? Well, if it helps, I ask myself that same question. This that's not like a humble brag in terms of like every once in a while I'm like, why do these people keep saying yes? Because it's you know I. I, a lot of these people, the majority of them, I've never met until I get on Skype with them, which is a weird experience yeah. to say the least, yeah. where you're suddenly like, I need to get to understand, get to know like how you respond to things. I need to understand like what moods you're in, who you, like, of course, a lot of the times with Jeff Gertzman, I've been listening to him for years, but it's, it's different when you're actually talking to them one-on-one. 
so yeah, it's a lot of it is just emailing people who I respect or who I just enjoy listening to or I enjoy their work and hoping they'll say yes or bugging them on Twitter and or DMing them or stuff like that. And yeah, again, I've been I've been lucky enough that people like Lauren Lanning and Jeff Gertzman and Adam Boys and all these different people have just been like, sure, I will spend an hour with you. And yeah, super appreciative of it. And the response has been it's been crazy. It's been fun to do. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds I mean, and we do a little bit, obviously, you're on, on our show, but yeah, we do a little of reaching out to people and it's always it's always a trip with the people you you hear from. Yeah. You, well, you never know. Like the time is short <laughs> and like you have to usually be concise with like, here's what, you know, here's what I've done in the past. Here's what I've had on, which always helps when you could say that you've right. had like big guests yep, on before. Yep. I've um, written that here's, email. <laughs> <laughs> here's the, like, here's why I respect your work. You know, here's kind of the, the, the exact specifications, the time, everything like that. And, uh, yeah, you, you never know who you're going to get, but thankfully I haven't missed too many times yet. That's good. Yeah. When, and you've got, you've got a fantastic list of people you've had so far, especially like Lauren Lanning. I can't. That's so cool. He, first off, top 10 hair in the industry. Oh, like he's just, it's just, doubt. it's really amazing. For, for multiple like, decades I, uh, too, which is very impressive. Eternally, it <laughs> gets better, which is not how it's supposed to work. I'm just <laughs> eternally jealous of it. But no, I, I hear you. met him in E3 2013 at, at uh, Michael Pactor's party, which I've said on the podcast before, <laughs> but just getting a drink over at the open bar and suddenly I'm like, oh man, I could tell that hair from my way. That's Lauren Landing. And then just started talking to him. This is right after he had been on Sony's E3 stage to talk about indies on PS4. Yeah. And uh, we got each, we had drinks together. We had old fashions together. Oh, it was the greatest hell moment yeah. of my life. Um, we might've been in Manhattan. It was one of the two. And then I, he gave me a business card and like two years later, he, I used his quotes on an IGN article I wrote. And then a year later, you know, two years after that, he was on the podcast. So he is an amazing human being. And like, I mean, it's in a positive way. You can, I'll come in with like 12 questions ready for him. Like, here's what I want to talk about. I'll say the first question and he will talk for 30 minutes. And I totally mean that in a positive way where he'll just go. And I take a step back and understand like people aren't listening to the show for me. They're listening to the show for him. So you do you and he'll just go. And I love it. It's super cool to hear you say it though. Cause I've heard him on interviews on, on multiple podcasts or like, you know, he's been on the giant bomb E3 show before mm-hmm. he's been on the game Informer show before the dude is just, he is so open with his experience in the game industry in a way that I think a lot of people have a hard time kind of, relaying to people in a way that's interesting in like a story-based way but he's just a storyteller like in everything he does yeah and he can be blunt he can be blunt in um in in good ways and in refreshing ways like sometimes like ways that if he wasn't an indie he might get in some sort of hot water if his name was tied to someone else but um like he'll just randomly be telling me stories one of the podcasts he was telling me basically he had claimed that um sony had changed the price of the playstation 4 once they learned what microsoft's price was for the xbox one uh, and he's telling me all these things and I'm like, that seems like stuff you're not allowed to tell me, like telling me stuff like when he was like in the green room or whatever before he went on. And then I had Adam boys on two months later, oh, God. like mid conversation. He's like, okay, by the way, like I got set your podcast. That never happened. Like that's not true. <laughs> so like, stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, no, that's, that got back to me and I saw articles about it. Like, but there's stuff like that, that it's like Lauren is just kind of like shooting from the hip in a way that I super appreciate and saying like, you know, here's what I think about the industry. Here's where it's going. And when someone's been in it that long and been successful at it that long, it's hard not to kind of respect that and take that and listen. And, uh, yeah, he's one of those people who you hope is really cool in person. And I can totally tell you that. He that's is. awesome. 
I've listened to one or two interviews with him, and you know, given like the games that he's made, I I, I get like I assumed he was he had like this kind of eclectic or like Alan Moore type vibe about him. But like the second he talks, he's just he's like the fucking Sam Elliott of video games because he's just a super <laughs> raw blue collar guy, just like talking the way he's just talking straight to you. And he does so many of the voices for Oddworld, I know, which is like insane to even think about him. Who like 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 you said, he's this mix of like like being eccentric, but also could like wear a tie and seem like really formal. But then is like randomly doing voices for Oddworld. So yeah, he's a he is a Renaissance man. <laughs> yes, he's a personality for sure. He's got a, yeah. he's got his own style, and he's definitely one of those guys that's like, uh, like um, Sid Meier. It's like you have to get three levels deep into this industry before you know, like these are the people that just work the whole lives that don't crave a lot of attention, except for you know their names on the box or whatever. But they, but they're doing their work and they're and they're getting shit done, and they're not trying to call too much attention to themselves. They're just trying to do what they want to do. Those are the people you usually learn the most from, and like you know, th- there's also. There's people like Sid Meier would be an amazing person to talk to. And like the, another reason that when the podcast started, the podcast I do started to evolve, it was a lot of it, part of it was it initially started very unselfish in terms of like, I get emails all the time about like, how do I do the work you do? Mm-hmm. How do I get on GameSpot and IGN? I'm like, all right, I'll do a podcast that kind of talks about that. But then the selfish part of me was also like, I really want to talk to <laughs> uh, Vinny Caravella for an hour. And what is the way, what's a vehicle I can create to do that? Which ends up being interesting conversations that people enjoy. But I won't sit here and joke around, like, you know, kid myself and say that part of that isn't selfish because I, I've always wanted to do that since I was in high school, talk to these people. Right. Uh, so, yeah, there's also, and like Sid, I, I, you know, I have a list in my head of just like Sid Meier's on that, of course, but like Lauren Lanning was one and Adam Boyes was one and people like that. And there's so many people who make, you don't usually there's not that many front-facing game developers there are some like a cliff blazinski people know who that is um or a geez it's hard to even think of any right now but like uh jonathan blow is right. another one yeah. who like mo- a lot of people know him and like on the kind of really tie him to the game but there's some people who you might never know who are responsible for these major games you love and a lot of that for me with the podcast is finding those people and having interesting conversations with them even um, my boss right now Corey davis who uh, was the creative force behind Spec Ops The Line, which a lot of people really appreciate. Wow. Like, Yeah, and like when I, I had him on my podcast before I worked for him um, because I'd met him at E3 a while ago and we had talked a lot and you know, it's cool to kind of get him out in front of people because I'm like, this dude's amazing. Like, This guy's really interesting and people might not know who he is even though they love what he did. Uh, and yeah, working for him now is a dream, but like, that's the, a lot of the stuff I want to do with the podcast is highlighting these people that you should know because they have something interesting to say and they're probably responsible for maybe some awesome memories from your childhood or from high school or from right now. Right. What were you talking about before? It's like part, part of it's selfless with making a podcast and part of it's selfish. Like I do think there has to be a certain amount of vanity that you have to have to, to run one of these and maintain it. Maintaining, running and maintaining a podcast is harder okay let me rephrase that running and maintaining a successful podcast is harder than you might think going into it because i would not call myself successful yet um like i'm not at a spot where i'm like all right getting all this money from it like it's still i'm at a loss like i I don't i don't you know have advertisers i haven't looked into that or anything like that but um you have to kind of find that balance between this is like fun for me to do and like not really like focused. I'm just kind of throwing stuff at the wall versus like, okay, what do you think will work 
that people will listen to and definitely download, but you also really enjoy doing. That's the selfish part of it. Right. But then, yeah, it's also looking into what's worked in the past for me. You're know, like 50 episodes deep into mine. It was kind of like looking at the data, looking at like, all right, it's, it's easy to say that the big guests work because they tweet about it and suddenly I'm getting way more downloads than I ever have before. But also, let's say if I can record an episode that doesn't have a big name on it, but still does well, what caused it to do that? So yeah, being able to kind of figure that out for a podcast has been... Um, a learning experience for me and a challenge. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of other people who run podcasts to get advice because I feel, think that's important too. But yeah, it's it's that weird mix of selfish and being very unselfish. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of powerful personalities in the industry. And this is a very different point than what we're talking about. But you had these guys in the 90s. And I don't know if it was because the industry was trying to prop them up to seem more like the film industry or if it was because they just needed names. Because even growing up, like you had like Will Wright, you had Sid Meier, you had, I mean, Cliff Lezinski was around when I was growing up. And I feel like now developers have these huge uh, media operations that handle their external communications. And I wonder if it's kind of taking a lot of the humanity away from the, the big development. Because like, I couldn't tell you who the lead on The Witcher was. And that's like probably one of the biggest games yeah, I mean, th- I think there's multiple layers to that. Um, game development's bigger than ever. If you talk about Assassin's Creed, like oh, every once in a while you kind of get like, people. a face for it. Yeah, but there's 500 people on that or like a Need for Speed game or Call of Duty that when early development, when you talk about uh, the, those different names we mentioned before, a lot of those teams were smaller um, and you kind of had one or two main people who were the face of that. But then we also do have the indie side. Like when you think about... Supergiant games, you do usually think about Greg Kasavin. Uh, when you when you look at, again, Jonathan Blow with a smaller team there. Uh, and a lot of those indie games do get still give people opportunity to kind of get themselves out there. But you are right. The, the major games that maybe people connect with the most, it's it's they look at it as this is Ubisoft developed or, or this is like, yeah, or like this is Treyarch developed, not this is like the person that does it. But I mean, the truth is about game development is now that I am getting more into that side of the business and seeing it, I mean, it's so unbelievably collaborative that I think very often developers don't want to be the face of it because that almost takes away from the rest of the team, understanding that. You know, there's a lot of people are wearing a lot of hats and doing a lot of different things. So to say, like, you know, even right now, Cliff Lutzinski with uh, Lawbreakers, I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, of course, he's out there promoting it because that actually does well for the sales figures. People are going to relate that to Gears of War and other things he's done in the past. But, I mean, he's just a cog in that machine, not to make a Gears of War (laughs) pun there. But, like, he's he's just a piece of that puzzle. So, yeah, I I think a lot of developers don't want to be front-facing because they understand that they are a part of this larger operation. Well, the other thing I think, too, is that the saturation is just, I mean... Not to say that when like Sid Meier was coming up that there wasn't tons of games coming out, but in the indie scene, like it seems like there's a lot of really quality indie games, you know, at least monthly. Like there's a new game, and I think that makes it hard for personalities to develop and franchises to develop. No, you're right, and it's also it means it's harder for any of those games to actually like bubble up to the surface, right? Like when when the the Steam new releases list is. Like you could literally release a game at four o'clock and by four thirty you're on the bottom of the list because there's all these there's new train simulator DLC that's pushing it all the way down to the bottom. Oh man, it, it, it's hard. A new survival it's hard. <laughs> online survival game. It, it's everywhere. It, it's hard. There's genre fatigue and there's also just steam release fatigue. Like it's hard to get your name out there. I just um next week's podcast of mine i I talked to the people who someone who did dead cells. Oh cool. Uh, which is a really interesting 
Metroidvania, Dark Soulsy, Rogue Legacy type of game that if you you know have all those different features in one game, you assume like oh that's that's too generic. No one's gonna latch onto that. There's enough games like that, but with how the game feels and getting the right reviews at the right time and the right coverage, they were able to. Um, they didn't give me exact sales figures, and I don't want to spoil <laughs> the podcast too much. But uh, the the guy I talked to, he gave, he kind of t- told me a little bit, but um, it was around like. 2,000% more than his expectation wow. for what it would sell in that first weekend. Uh, so, I mean, we're talking like hundreds of thousands on this game nice. that, Oof. you know, you just never know. And like, yeah. that's awesome to hear, but it is hard to do uh, because of how difficult it is to stand out now. There's so many games mm-hmm. that you really have to do something special to stand out. Yeah. And it's only going to get harder in a week when Steam Direct comes out and you just pay $100 and then there you go. You're on. Yeah. That's you're off to I, the races. It's a, God, that's a, you better make sure your game is doing something unique and interesting and that, that shit's polished up if you want to actually make your money back. I mean, if, if you want to just throw some random thing on Steam and see how it works, go ahead. That's totally fine. Right. But if you're banking like your actual you know, well-being on something like that, good luck. It's hard. I quit my job and I'm three days away from going bankrupt. Let's see how this game does. Yeah, you better make sure you don't just have a Minecraft clone. I don't think you're going to stand out. <laughs> Look at this U- Unity Store acid flip I made. <laughs> what what shall we talk about first, gents? Do you guys want to talk about some goings-on, some other goings-on? Do we want to talk about what we've been playing? Totally up to you. Mason, you want to talk about what you've been playing? Uh, Well, sure. Oh, what have you been playing? A lot of uh, VR demo stuff. I've only been going into like kind of practical use of VR stuff, like not even games, but like how would an enterprise use VR? It's not like super sexy stuff, but I've been playing a lot of games lately. You've been playing, you were playing Prey last to talk to you. Yes. I like Prey a lot, but I, I haven't, I, I kind of fell off of it for a little bit because I got really busy with work. But the thing I like about Prey most is that Prey builds a world subtly in a way that I really appreciate. But then the the encounter design or the enemy design, and, and I think you've seen this a lot in the press and, and the reviews, is like it's pretty redundant. You're fighting a lot of the same amorphous blob. Yeah, it, it seemed like a game that it, it's setting and maybe even the look to a certain extent was carrying it. There's a lot of intrigue around that, but the actual playing it part seems kind of like like off-brand Bioshock to yeah. a certain extent, which isn't the worst thing. There's not that many games that are exactly like a Bioshock exactly. in that way, but uh, it sounds like playing it is not nearly as interesting as kind of experiencing. Or investigating, the I guess it would be like, like there's yeah. like a cool investigative element, but then, and it does, it does a lot where it, there's a lot of psychological stuff in that game that I really appreciate. Cause I think that like, it's a good medium to kind of fuck with the player in a first person setting. I always find that fascinating. Yeah, I was talking. I, I promise I'm not intentionally name dropping a whole bunch. Uh, I, I was talking to. I was um, talking to Obama, and <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to Nina Freeman, who is working on Tacoma right now at Fulbright. And uh, it, it's interesting to talk to game designers about other games because she is just like fascinated by the level design of Prey because she's a level designer on Tacoma, and the way she talked about like how you're experiencing things and what you're finding in the way the game is guiding you, but also letting you explore in certain ways uh, made me want to get it, even though the combat doesn't seem to be exactly what I want. So yeah, I, I still think it's one of those games. And I, I always hate to be this guy because 
I really enjoy supporting cool games, but I'll probably get that when it goes down to like twenty bucks a month. And if we're gonna be fully honest, I think honest. that's totally reasonable. But I also think that like if you can get it on sale, like even experiencing the first two hours of it, I think is super interesting because that game approaches shape in a way that I find really interesting. Like everything has a very distinct, like there's no obtuse corners in that space. Like it's very purposely designed for you to see certain things at certain times and kind of it's thoughtfully laid out in a way that you're revealing this kind of this bigger world. And I think that's really cool and really special that not a lot of games do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely on my list. Uh, I, I would recommend uh, downloading the demo, Josiah, if you have a console. Yeah. Demo's cool. Yeah. I definitely need to. It's uh, right now. I'm just like so over encumbered by the number of games that I've <laughs> been playing that it's been, <laughs> it's been harder to find so, actual time, which is the worst complaint. On that but, note. So, so you're in you, you, you know, your job is revolves around, games and do you find because i struggle with that too where like i i've gone through waves where i feel like because i i don't make games for a living but i'm at a computer all day and i'm in unity a lot of the time coming home and playing games sometimes feels like i'm just extending my work at home yeah it's it's weird because when i was working for IGN and GameSpot and freelancing for them um, I got into this weird mode, um, and I, t- I talked to someone on a podcast about this recently, where if I wasn't getting some sort of payment or knew that I was working towards something when I was playing a game, I really struggled to just sit down and do it. I got really restless yeah. with it. I got really just active mind because, you know, when you get used to, you're playing a game, you're pushing through it, you're trying to write a review, you're trying to do some sort of coverage, you get used to that. Uh, so I didn't enjoy games in the same way while I was doing that. But now that I have taken a step back, I stopped all freelancing and now I'm just exclusively working for my full-time job, which is unrelated to games. And then with Tan Gentleman and uh, Sony Santa Monica, uh, it's it's to a certain extent giving me kind of a second wind. Um, I still, like you, sometimes need to just take a step back from playing games because it's so tied to your career and what you think about all the time and what you're doing. But um, more than ever, I've been able to just enjoy games as games and not some means to an end. Even though I will be honest again, um, with some of these new podcasts I'm doing where I'm playing a developer's game, uh, all the way through and then talking to one of them about design decisions and kind of what I thought of about it. Uh, again, that maybe it's a little bit selfish then. So I'm, I'm getting these games just so I can actually do some sort of work and produce content with it. So that never fully left me. But it's been easier to just sit down with something like The Surge and play it all the way through without any sort of ulterior motive. What do you think of The Surge? It's... <sighs> I have a lot of feeling. I broke a controller over the surge. That's, that's a really? good place to start. God. Um, but I've never broken a controller. Not like destroyed it, but um, I cracked a PS4 controller kind of aggressively around like 1 a.m. playing the surge. Did you twist it one way and the other way? And then it. So that was, I started doing that. And then instead, I just um, kind of, kind of bitch slapped it, maybe is the best <laughs> way to put it. Um, like really got angry and just like hit it and then cracked it. And I was like, oh, that's too hard. Shouldn't hit it that hard. It's, it's, um, the Surge is a Dark Souls game that breaks its rules a few too many times and then that frustration sets in where the, I think one of the main qualities of a Souls game for me is establishing rules and following those rules in terms of how your role feels, what your hitbox is like, what an enemy's hitbox is like, enemy patterns, stuff like that. Um, and a few, t- yeah, a few too many times with The Surge, it 
breaks those rules on a boss where suddenly you're swinging and the hit detection isn't working and you're not connecting the way you should. And these moments where you have like these very short windows to attack someone, the game isn't allowing you to do what you think you should do and you die. And that's why the broken controller happened <laughs> because I felt like it was breaking its own rules. And I, so I didn't, in response, you broke your controller. I'll break you back. Yeah, 100%. I was very reasonable, very reasonable <laughs> response to my issues. Uh, but like, that's my thing is like, if I die in dark souls or if I die in a, a game of that way, or if I die in, um, dead cells, which is really good at this, it feels like it's my fault and I'm fine with it. Like, I'll accept that I suck at it. Um, the surge, even though I did beat it and I, I would suggest it to most people who are looking for a, a souls like game. Cause I do think it has really interesting aspects to the story and even the progression is, is, is interesting, but there were a few too many times where I died, and I'm like, that don't feel like I don't feel like that should have happened, and that's the main frustration. That don't feel like no Dark Souls me. Yeah, but but I think there's something about like fairness in games. Like you know, you, when you die in a Mario game, you know that it was your fault because you jumped off the edge. In Dark Souls, you always feel very responsible, which is why I think Dark Souls is good. But when you take responsibility away from the player, that creates a tension. I imagine for you, and you break a controller. <laughs> the, the the surge. Using your Mario comparison, it's like you've played for four hours and understand exactly how your jump works, and then suddenly you approach a cliff, and like for some reason, like the jump is like at half a se- it takes a half a second longer to input, and suddenly you're in a pit, and you're like, wait, no, that's not what the, these these rules weren't set up like this. And again, like it, maybe it's not to be the case for everyone, but I, the first boss, I would just swing. I was actually share playing with a friend of mine, um, who around like, hey, let's watch this new game you're playing. Um, and he had moments of like, we have the exact same frustration of like, I am swinging at the right time when I'm hitting what I should be hitting and the game isn't letting me do damage at this point and now I'm dead. So yeah, it, it's a little bit like that. I remember playing uh, Rocket League at Mason's place once and we, at that point we were playing Rocket League primarily on PC and then we switched to PS4 and holy shit, there was some controller latency because like yeah. none of us were performing well at all. And then the PS4 when you have multiple controllers going at once. Because I guess they're Bluetooth controllers. There's like Bluetooth interference. Yeah. Ugh. That was nonsense. But that's a game that has really good feel, though. Oh, 100%. Like, <laughs> I, I'm in love with Rocket League. So with with the Surge, like I, I'm a big, big Dark Souls fan. And I was like all about Demon Souls. And the world design around Dark Souls is kind of what I was always drawn me to it. The Surge, I've watched some videos of it and seen it. It, it looks kind of flat to me. But is the world cool? Is it interesting? Is that fulfilling? I mean, no, I think that's a good observation. It's, it doesn't, it's not varied quite enough. I, I like the idea of it, of, um, this is a slight spoiler, but it's literally the start of the game. Like your dude's in a wheelchair at the start and you're, you're on this rig and you're able to walk, but like, they don't really play into that enough. They don't actually go into that emotional aspect of, you know, suddenly being able to walk. It kind of just happens. The emotional aspect of getting it drilled into you. Yeah. It's pretty intense. Fuck. Like they, they, that first scene is like really like, whoa. And uh, I mean, if, if you talk about kind of the world of Dark Souls or Bloodborne, which might be actually my favorite of that bunch, um, it's a lot of the stories being told through the world, right? Like a lot of it's being told through what you're seeing and um, you're kind of getting a sense for the entire game without it telling you that much. And the search tells you enough. There's, there's more actual like logs and different things that are talking to you. But yeah, it... it I think it has a more complete story in terms of like A to B. It's telling you more. Yeah. But like the world, it kind of always feels like this industrialized blah. Like it's not, <laughs> it doesn't really feel creative in that many ways. And a lot of the new areas, 
Um, it's fun to find. I mean, there's shortcuts like in any Souls-like game where you're you have one instead of bonfires. There's like one med station in each new area, and you're constantly doing shortcuts to get back there. And I, I think it it's clumsier in that way than a, a Souls game would be in terms of sometimes there's like so many shortcuts that you like walk out of the med bay and you're like I don't even know where I started. If you if you leave for three days, you're gonna be lost because there's so many shortcuts you open up, and they're all kind of look the same because the world design isn't that varied. So there's so many times where I'm like, I don't know which door I'm supposed to go into, and there's no real way to know. I got lost in that game more than I got lost in any Souls game, and not in a fun way. Um, but again, it, it's I'm get, it sounds like I'm shitting on this game, but I do think there's when it works, when the combat's flowing well, when you're really upgrading everything, when you get a cool rig and everything like that, it, it can be really interesting. And some of the bosses are, even though they can be infuriating, um, there's a couple that I really enjoyed. Uh, but yeah, it it's it it hits a lot of those Dark Souls or Bloodborne notes, but it doesn't quite have the charms. Not the right word, but the the thematic kind of elements and the mood that I look for in a game. Well, like it's kind of like follow through. You know, and I don't I don't mean to like cut down on what they did, but like there's a level of like it's not polished with the Souls game, but like this foreboding kind of at least in Bloodborne, this like rising sense of evil that happens through the entire game that is so cool to me. And like, because the game starts out and it feels very, this kind of gothic thing, but you don't realize how evil the world is until you get, I remember that big worm, the worm boss in Bloodborne. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm. I feel like that whole area just is just like, it's kind of like this church and it just feels like there's just pressure on you as a player. It tells a story. Yeah, right. But there's no like, I I couldn't tell you the, the, the A to B part of it. And it sounds like um, the surge has that more, but there's this experience. That there's a story that you have a player. And I've always found that super fascinating in game design. Like I think another game that does that. Yeah. It's, I think you're right. The follow through is a big part of it. And like you, I, I, I struggle. I don't know exactly what that team, that development team is like. And, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what could have happened that didn't made some of these edges rougher than they should be. But yeah, there's just, there's this feeling of, maybe understanding what the outline of a souls game is that, that makes it successful but not really understanding the certain areas where like th- that world design that the checkpointing system it's all there but it's just not done in the way that i think works the way i want it to i beat it and i spent like 30 hours in it which it was one of those games that after i uh broke the controller um and i remember like yelling and saying i'm done i'm not playing this thing anymore it's unfair um once i got through the two unfair bosses from there i at least got a sense for like most of the other enemies were fine in terms of kind of what they were demanding of me but yeah it's and again i hate to be this guy again but like if if you see if you really want a souls game then get it right now uh if you want to wait it'll be 30 bucks soon yeah probably this is the these are the lords of the fallen guys right it is yeah i i kind of I almost, even though Lords of the Fallen was like a little bit too close to Dark Souls tone and like the look of it, I kind of liked that world more than I liked this world. This world had more potential to be different, but again, didn't really have the variety to, to keep pace with how, you know, the actual 20 or 30 hours I played of it. But yeah, it's, hopefully they do well. I would like to see what they, I, this could be a genre. I think it is becoming a genre and I would like to see what people like this could do with you know, maybe more time, more polish, uh, maybe a bigger budget or something like that. This feels very B game, which I don't say that in a bad way. It's just, it, it feels more like a B game than... But I'm excited that we can get those in 2017, though. And, like, have have these devs cut their teeth and... They seem to be improving, you know what I mean? Yes, 
I, I would love to see whatever. I don't know. I don't know if I want to see the search too, but I want to see the third game that follows this track, but is kind of maybe this amalgamation of everything they've done. And they have these pieces. Like the premise is cool. Like you're talking about the wheelchair guy, and like there's something that like I think they're still learning how to to make this bigger thing. But I'm excited for when they do hit their stride. And a lot of studios, it takes years, you know, to yeah get that gem or the. The opening with the wheelchair is one of the coolest openings in a game this year. They just don't follow through on it in any actual meaningful way. <laughs> that's maybe that's not what they wanted to do. Maybe that was their plan, but it felt like, whoa, this could be a really awesome thing where this dude, you know this character, why was he, you know, paralyzed? And again, a lot of there are these audio logs and there's a lot of kind of ambient dialogue that'll happen that maybe they did explain that and I turned my brain off, which is <laughs> fully possible. But it didn't it didn't really drive like it wasn't a big part of that game that grabbed me like i don't know again seeing that dude in the wheelchair at the start i had like whoa this could be something really special that i never really feel like it delivered on that being um being someone who's never played a souls game and not really that keen into the gothic aesthetic that souls the souls games and bloodborne trades in i did and i've only seen like a gif and a half of the surge but the industrial punk how do you see a half gif <laughs> well uh <laughs> got, like you, so you start watching the gif and then like yeah. dinner's ready so you gotta well, close your I was, computer i was just sliding through my twitter timeline and just oh there's a gif oh it's gone <laughs> all right okay I'll accept some that. bit rot but the industrial punk of the surge seemed so much cooler to me than what i saw in the souls games and not not saying that one is better than the other but i think it, it just was cool. It's this guy in this like huge like exoskeleton with this weird armor on, but it's all looks like it's made out of like rot steel. And then he's just swinging like some weird club at a guy yeah. and like cutting through him. He looks goofy as hell. <laughs> Which again, it kind I don't hate that. I don't hate that you're this That's my goofy life. looking dude. Yeah, I want to kind of be the awkward guy rumbling around in my weird suit of armor. The awkward like, murderer. Yeah, you don't have to always look cool. Cool. Tell me about the other Souls game that you were mentioning before, Dead Cells. Dead Cells is one of the coolest surprises of the year, and I'm not just saying that because I just talked to people from the team. Uh, it's it's this early access Steam game that really, I mean, think Rogue Legacy, which a lot of people played on PS4, or PC, stuff like that, where you're you're constantly doing different runs. So like, there's something to carry over. Of course, you get like certain. Uh, what are they called? I think they're called, I think they might just be called cells, which kind of act as your souls in this game. So you, every single run is the, the, the area is procedurally generated. Uh, the upgrades are in different spots. Sometimes you won't get nearly as many upgrades as you want a different run. And you're just trying to get as far as you can in this location. So, I mean, there's like the first kind of castle place that you can go to like this swampy area. There's like a snowy place. I think I could be making that one up. Um, but you're going through these different areas, you're fighting bosses, you keep trying to upgrade your health, your your damage, your, uh, your, your stamina and stuff like that, and um, the weapons you have. It, it feels as good or better than a Castlevania game, which is really important. Rogue Legacy is not a great like action 2D game, if you really think about it. Um, it works, but uh, one of my main random very small things that changes the entire game for me when you think of rogue legacy um you know how like if you bump into anything you take damage right um in dead cells you don't they have to actually do an attack on you to hurt you so if i run directly into an enemy i'm not going to take damage and fall backwards so like the enemies are smart 
and they have a lot of interesting attacks on you, but you don't feel like you're getting cheap shotted by just bumping into something. You don't feel like you're deep into a 20 minute run and suddenly you accidentally bump into someone and you're dead. Um, so again, that comes back to that, that souls type of thing where it feels fair. It feels fair when you're doing this combat. The, the slashes have weight. The, the, the bow you pull back has weight. Your roll feels good. Um, so yeah, you're, it's, it's run-based, so people who really appreciate progression might get a little bit frustrated because, of course, you can progress in th- some things, like in Rogue Legacy, but you know, a lot of it is how far can you get. Let me tell you about my favorite game, Spelunky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, it, I mean, it has some of those elements, too. So, yeah, it's, I know there's a lot of uh, roguelike games like this, but if you're sick of that genre, I get it. You should really check out Dead Cells. And it's in early access? Yeah, it's so that's one of the things that's really smart. They, I mean, they spent time testing, play testing this game, and and content wise, they're saying it's like sixty percent. But Oof. what's there feels fulfilling. Done. Yeah, it feels done. Like it's not that long. Like you can spend you know hours and hours and hours, keep perfecting, keep. I, I still have a lot of time in it. I need to put into it. Um, but the actual like how far you can get is not is maybe 60% done. They're still going to add a lot to it, a lot of different bosses, and they're tweaking it. But they've tweaked it so well right now that, again, I, I've i barely run into any bugs, if any. And it just it feels like a complete game in terms of the actual feel, the combat, and the design of it. I have checked that out. It sounds pretty good. It came out of nowhere for me. It was one of those, I, I saw a Polygon review from Justin McElroy, and it gave it a 9. I'm like, what the hell is this game? Um, and then kind of looked around, saw some videos, and yeah, reached out to them and... Since then, it's it's been. I, I don't play PC games that much. It's uh one thousand percent. They're kind of a it. a green light darling, from what I understood. Just like yeah, just kind of came out. I nowhere. mean, they just closed green light too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they got in under the under the curtain. Yeah, but yeah, they they he mentioned that uh, on the podcast that they they were that green light darling, and uh, again, it's been cool to see something that is super quality actually come out and not get overlooked, but it, it got the right press attention at the right time and, and, and blew up a bit. It's one of those things that on games, Twitter, suddenly everyone's talking about it. And that always makes me happy when it's actually, yeah, you know, a really good game like that. That's cool. Oh God. The games, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And the no. games, Twitter will talk about a game like persona five is another one, which I've been playing a little bit of like the, the people go crazy on games, Twitter about like a single game. And if you want to be, you know, hashtag part of the conversation, uh, you end up, playing those games like there was the persona 5 and uh tokyo 42 took over for a bit because that game looks amazing in motion oh my god the art direction of that game is just so yeah it's that game looks awesome i've only played about an hour and a half so like i don't want to give like a full report on it but uh it's it's stylish and cool and interesting Uh, some of the combat again a little unfair in terms of because there, it, because it's uh there's levels to it where you're shooting people on a lower level than you or a higher level than you and the bullets don't track extremely well i've been struggling with that a bit but the style is just on point when i'm a sucker for style man yeah well then you should get tokyo 42 i should probably very, get tokyo 42 <laughs> i'm here to spend your money ah shit <laughs> oh i played arms oh really the, the global the test, test punch. punch did you get punched I got punched a lot. Yeah? I thought it was kind of cool. Did you use the motion controllers or did you use just the sticks? No, I played it on my on the portable mode. You could just put the stand up and then stood five feet away and not see what you were God, hitting. But that, that stand is garbage, though. <laughs> it is kind of bad. It's it's not good. But I do do this like shameful <laughs> thing where I use the stand on my stomach and I'm in bed and I'm like, I haven't played Zelda, which I guess is kind of the point. 
Yeah, that's the kind of thing, though, that, like, if anyone ever takes a picture of you doing that, it never works. It's definitely a shameful looking picture. He's got a gallon of ice cream next to him. He's just like, oh. Yeah, there's, like, Cheetos, Cheeto dust on (laughs) your face. Don't look at me. Yeah, that's... I would never eat Cheetos in bed. (laughs) I hate Cheetos. What? I hate them. You know what? Fuck arms. Let's talk about Cheetos for a second. Cheetos are some disgusting... Just, it's invasive. It gets in your fingernails. It's a, you can smell them. Let's a take a away. step back. What are we talking about talking again? About like, like basic ass Cheetos. You talk about like cheese puffs. I don't like. I I actually hate cheese puffs more. Okay, so, but we're talking about hard Cheetos. Cheese cheese puffs are bad. Hard Cheetos. If you just lean the bag. If you okay. Yes. Pro tip. If you I tilt agree. the bag directly into your face and you pour that, you do the the shame. <laughs> horse bag it's not it's not shameful when you live alone though because no one else is worried about you sure. first off first first pro tip live alone <laughs> second pro tip you tilt the, the cheetos bag directly in your face you get maybe some like orange like joker side lip kind of thing going on but like fuck that like who, my, my dog's the only person who's going to judge me at that point i'll meet you halfway if cheetos could be eaten with a fork in a way that wasn't ridiculous what the did you have soggy cheetos get your okay, gourmet no, cheetos I'm out of saying, here I'm not, no no i'm saying that like it's the it's the physical interaction whether it's my face or my fingers the cheeto that i don't like the taste of the cheeto fine it's fine the taste is fine it's good first off fine fine it's good it is literally designed by scientists <laughs> to be good it's not even fucking real food but <laughs> what if you wore a glove a cheetos now, glove now we're talking if there was and this is okay. a, a potential product line for cheetos the cheeto glove yeah delete this part out of the podcast because we're gonna sell gold. this yeah. idea but there should, be a, there should be a on the horn glove. get frito lay on the horn it's gonna yeah. be but it's not gonna be a glove it's gonna be like a chester cheetah's paw <laughs> give me chester on the phone we got we got shit to talk about you want to hear some weird weirder than a cheetos glove yeah i didn't know the difference between chester the cheetah and the pink panther for like five years Hmm. I feel like there's a couple obvious differences. First off, the color. Well, let's clarify also that Mason uh, Mason's master's degree was in branding, and he could not tell the difference between the brand mascots, the Pink Panther. I feel like they take your master's back once you you actually say that out loud. They can't take mine. No, this is when I was little. This is before I got the degree. Before they put the beret on your head. Yeah, so Cheetos fine i'll give him a two out of ten one out of five jesus <laughs> hey that's better than i would have given them if i hadn't have thought of the cheetos glove or you that's thought the harsher, <laughs> that's harsher than any game spot review I ever. and did. for that a one <laughs> out of five god i miss x-play so much i loved x-play one cheeto out of five <laughs> i when i had adam sessler on about two weeks back i so badly wanted him to actually say that out loud but like i didn't want to make him like say the, the, the why you give us all the hits because you don't want to be the guy who's like at some sort of like i don't know some concert and it's like give me all the old songs like we talked very little about x-play but play piano man yeah that was yeah speaking of surreal moments while podcasting totally dude like that's incredible yeah, that was that was a weird one and he's a personality kind of like Lauren Landing that always has interesting stories to tell and always has interesting stories to say. Yeah. Oh, hell no, yeah. That was, again, that was one of those, like, suddenly I look at my email and after he actually responded to me and I'm like, oh, this is, okay, <laughs> shit's about to get really weird. Is he still involved with that Friday the 13th game? He is, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's consulting on a lot of different games like that, so yeah. He's, people people seem to like that thing. It, it, that's another game that's sold... I would assume it has to be over a million at this point. That that it's got some good buzz. Yeah, it it broke because it was so 
highly played. So it's cool. I like I like the idea of uneven. Yeah, I like the asymmetrical multiplayer part of it. Just it got like a four out of ten on Polygon. And I was like, oh, this is. Yeah, it's mm. hard to because I, I think that is it. I give Polygon's ac- web design a four out of ten. So <laughs> is it actually early access or is that out? I have no idea. I think. I thought it was fully out, but you might be right. You're probably right because it's that's the weird spot where like all I know is the thumbnail has the girl in the underwear, and I'm like, this is a little much. Yeah, I'm that like, come on, guys, might be playing to a certain audience. You know what though? If that thing sold like two million, maybe it, maybe it worked. I don't think I would ever go that route, but maybe it worked for them. <laughs> humanity is as disappointing as we expected. <laughs> I give humanity a four out of ten. I give humanity. <laughs> A one out of five. I was gonna say I don't think it deserves a four out of ten. Uh, one out of five sounds much better for the current state of humanity. <laughs> oh yeah. man, not a lot of work being done today. Not a lot of work being done today. Vote labor. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome though that you had Adam Sessler on. That's that's really cool. Yeah, I'm jelly man. It was funny. Um, I I never really do video Skype calls when I'm doing the podcast because like bandwidth wise and like recording setup it just works if I just do like audio. He turns his video on and suddenly I'm just staring directly into the eyes of Adam Sessler in, in his nice <laughs> house and then I was like this is this <laughs> like in, in a good way it's weird we're like you know, you, t- you tell high school Josiah that uh, which I didn't say out loud I was not trying to make him sound that much older than me to his face um, but yeah it was it, it's it's it was a fun podcast he's he's a really smart dude. His Twitter, perennially entertaining. Oh, yeah. Oh, the top five Twitter account. His ever everlasting search for pants that make him happy is, is very important. He's, his Twitter account's great. Yeah. I think him and Jeff Green are two guys that I would just... I've been following Jeff Green forever. Jeff Green is another person who's on my list of people I want to talk to. The Games for Windows podcast, man. Like, that was... I survived high school on the Games for Windows podcast. <laughs> Yeah, he he's a he just seems like an amazing dude, but yeah, uh, I think that's almost everything I'm playing. I'm all, so I I uh, so I hate baseball. Let me segue really quickly. I agree. I really do, <laughs> I just like baseball as a sport. Um, I'm a I'm a huge sports fan. I'm a big basketball, big football guy. Um, but like, but uh, I own MLB the show. Oh, you like it? It's I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Like, I, really? It's so weird. Yeah. You said that so I, shamefully. Like, I'm obsessed. Well, I did because I think baseball is bad. And, like, I can't stop playing this game. It has a really good um, road to the show, create a player thing. And it makes baseball fun because you're just playing the moments that your dude is playing. So, the guy, my, my character's name is Joe Reno, <laughs> only because that's like, there's no Josiah, there's no Renauden. So, his name's Josiah Renauden, but the, the announcer goes, Joe Reno, every single time he announces me. Um, and it's so much fun to just have like four at bats, a couple of like different plays. I'm a second baseman and each game takes like t- 10 minutes and I'm on with my life. And it's like, it's, it's a really well-made baseball game, even though baseball is trash. Uh, that's my review of MLB. The show <laughs> I think that's Appreciate it. a very flattering review of a sport that I can understand not liking. It's, it's bad. It's, it's harder <laughs> it's so to watch boring. than it it's is so to not long, watch. It's so boring. And I just like, now that I, I know I think usually my gateway into liking sports is understanding exactly how the sport is played. Yep. Um, where like basketball doesn't make a lot of sense until you start understanding defense, until you start understanding how its screens are set, until you start understanding. And then it's incredible. Yeah, like corner threes and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, basketball's amazing to watch. And then similar with like football, when you don't understand it, and you, it's like, why are they only going two yards every time? This is stupid. And then you start understanding football, and you're like, oh, no, this is actually really interesting. Baseball, the more I know, the more I'm like, this is still boring as shit. <laughs> like, well, and I think baseball almost leans too hard in the superstar stuff. Like, yeah. it... It can lean really hard on a lot of like two athletes. Yeah, and I don't even care about them. 
They only bat like four times in the entire game, and you have to sit there for four hours to wait for, and then they they strike out, and you're like, great, I need to wait another hour before they come back up. Why am I watching this? So yeah, what I'm saying is get the show. Yeah, a career mode, a really well, like I was not, I've gotten into soccer recently, like playing soccer and watching soccer, but I never liked it growing up. Um, Like I like playing it, like everyone played soccer growing up, but um. There was a FIFA game that had just an awesome career mode that I got really into when I was younger. And it's kind of cool that, like, these really solid career modes can kind of, like, onboard you into the game itself. Because I now know more about soccer because of FIFA and Rocket League. Like, even Rocket League made me appreciate soccer more. I'm the exact same way. FIFA was my gateway into understanding, like, oh, that's what offsides is. Right. Dude, offsides is so hard to understand for so long. Even the way they passed in soccer was always like, dude, why don't you just run and make it a fucking goal? Like, Just kick the ball. Yeah, FIFA was a huge part of me enjoying that. Like, Again, so many different games that for me. Like, I, I'm a big UFC fan now because of the THQ UFC games. So there's like a lot of things like that that games are like usually a gateway into sports oh, that I wouldn't watch I got otherwise. into boxing because of Fight Night. Yeah. It's, I thought, I thought the, the, the stick control was cool, like just novel. Yeah, and like maybe now's not a great time to be a boxing fan because most boxing sucks at yeah. the moment but still i'm the exact same way so yeah like that's and that base mlb was the first game that disproved that theory it made me like the game but made me continue to dislike but i wonder if like two years from now if you're kind of like oh nah maybe not i don't know it's 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 possible <laughs> i think i have to like really connect to a team um and like i guess it would be pittsburgh pirates just because like that's you know that's where i grew up dude I went to a Pirates game last summer though, and like I hate baseball. Like I'm like you, I don't, I don't give a shit about it. That stadium is incredible. Like, it really is. It's it's a nice stadium. I drank a lot when I was there, so that also helped a lot. That's that's baseball. You now. just, you like, just sit and only, drink. Like again, it's a vehicle for alcoholism, which look I support. But like that's it's still not anything I want to. I'd rather drink probably doing another thing or like, you know, like I'm not a big hockey guy, but I'd probably watch hockey uh, if I was there and I was but drinking. But the NHL games, those are good games. Man, minor league hockey, they don't give a fuck, man. You're just watching fucking just them ramming into each other. Yeah. And like not to get an entire long like tangent about sports, but like that's actually what bugs me more about hockey. And that's why I like soccer more is like hockey feels almost um, a little bit chaotic out of control. And but yeah, it's chaotic in a way where I feel like people are just kind of throwing the puck around. I know they're not. And I know they're, they know what they're doing. But many times it feels like they're just kind of throwing shit at the wall and hoping it'll stick compared to soccer, which is at least a little bit more calculated in why they're passing and why they're doing certain kind of plays course, and stuff like that. It's the same thing. So, like, yeah, I think non-contact sports, and this applies to games too, like I think team-based games that aren't about killing each other create interesting drama. And non-contact sports like basketball, you create opportunity by exposing flaws in people's offense or defense which is why i think i would be interested in in a league of legends or a dota like watching that because it's the same thing you're just exposing weaknesses but man i can't i cannot watch league of legends for the life (laughs) i just can't do it i got into i don't want to sound like a league of legends hipster but uh in college it was like my freshman year i got into it before it was like really massive and like played maybe 200 hours i'm not no my brother is obsessed with it dude like he's all about it I played it hard for about two years and have not played it since. So, like, I at least I understand the clean. fervor around it. Not watching it, but playing it. It's it's an okay game. You see, I think you guys are taking the wrong tact in terms of sports, thinking baseball's garbage and the rest are good. I would say they're all garbage and you just ignore them all. 
Oh man, are you a sports ball guy? Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, sports ballman McGee. That's what they call me. Oh, uh, you see, you gotta like, you need, you need the right kind of outlet to actually start in it. Because I was the exact same way growing up, and then um, I had a roommate in college who was obsessed with basketball, and I'm like, I think basketball is dumb. And they'd watch it all the time, and then like a year later, I'm like, all right, it's pretty good. It's like a lot of the sports happen like that for me. That sounds like Stockholm syndrome, Josiah. You no, know, it's it's. I'm still watching it. It's we were, uh We went to VCU in my freshman year. Of VCU went to the Final Four college basketball and that was just bananas like that was and i was like yep i'm sold basketball is the greatest thing ever but yeah 100 that, that, that's a really smart reason <laughs> and they, and they never got there again hey um <laughs> listen we're, we're pretty good um i don't mean to dwell on sports but i i think that like i said like i think that the the fact that you hate baseball but are really well like those game designers deserve credit for that like that's fucking awesome like they've created no that's that's some yeah. that's some like cool mojo. I will preach the good word of the show because it makes a shit sport fun. And someone has to do it because I think the sports games and I don't play a lot of sports games in general, but like I think they get because they're so annualized and serialized, they don't get a lot of coverage from the um kind of critical clinical side of things, like really breaking down like why this works. And I think some of them like Rocket League broke through, obviously. But I think some of them deserve the, the merit because they're based on games that are ultimately the most play-tested games in, like, human society. Yeah. Sports games are weird, too. To, like, to totally. review them, that was uh, one of the things I did. Oh, at, um, yeah. at GameSpot, I reviewed Madden and uh, NBA 2K. So, as you guess, a lot of comments in those reviews because people care. Um, and it, it's weird reviewing. I think I reviewed three 2K games for the site. And, like, yeah, to try to write about those in a unique way every single time because you're you're appealing to two masters right you're appealing to the people who play those every single year but someone should be able to read that review and pick it up and not immediately be lost like i'm talking to an entirely you know two different crowds so yeah it's it's hard to really convey a lot of that information to both groups but uh yeah and nba 2k also amazing game yeah cool we'll wrap it up there josiah thank you so much for coming on absolutely um, we definitely need to have you on again because this was an awesome talk. Yeah, I would love to come back on. And we didn't get nearly into everything that we could have talked about. Need to hear more about Townville, definitely. The Townville will be a, a central discussion moving forward. Yeah, awesome. Cool. And be sure to check out the 1099. It's an awesome podcast. We did even talk about quarterly taxes, which has been my life for like four years, dude. <laughs> well, what are we even doing? What are we even doing? I never did taxes quarterly. I always did them at the end of the year, and it was so much money. I know. I, 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 because I, when I first heard about you, I was like, oh, a freelance, because I've been a freelancer for, that's how I've paid rent forever. And I was like, oh, the, the freelancer. And then I was like, oh. I did taxes wrong. Dude, me too, man. <laughs> so never take my advice, is what I'm saying. That stretches across all fields, but mostly taxes. I wanted to bitch <laughs> about being the employer and the employee and having to pay double tax because of that. But that'll be the next exciting podcast where we go into intimate tax details for I could go we could talk about it let's talk about freelancing my day job is just me sitting in a room as a web developer with 90 auditors so I can go to town talking about some tax shit <laughs> the most listened to podcast oh yeah hey those, those auditors need something to listen to too we have uh, our my new podcast called the 1040 easy oh man coming out soon that might be a better name. It'd be pretty good. <laughs> well, this is awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, man. Thank oh, you. No problem. Thanks for having me yeah, on. Yeah, Mason, thank you again for 
for shotgunning this one with me. That was not a good turn phrase. I like it. <laughs> okay. That means that Josiah is in the back, though. So, sorry. That's sorry, fine. Josiah. I'll go in the trunk. <laughs> He's in the bed. Bed of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Going down to the mud bog. At Townsville. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of trucks there. I believe that. I bet. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. Boom. <laughs>